0: Sam's Pants Radio, Australia's least coherent podcast network.
1: Bambinos, and welcome to another episode of Total Reboot, the only podcast on the freaking internet available for both download and streaming that there's to discuss cinema. My name is Alexi Toliopoulos, and it is my esteemed pleasure to continue this mini series all about gore movies, that's right, food films, in this mini series called Cuisine on Screen, joined by my highly esteemed co-host, the Prince of Pasta, Mitch Orr. Lexi, baby,
0: we're talking about a big one today, man. How are you feeling? Talking about a big night today. I'm really looking forward to talking about it with you, Lex, because I really don't know how I feel about this film.
1: Wow! So there mm. are emotional stakes built into this episode from the first <laughs> seconds of it. We have got a character arc ready to be formed, Mitchy. <laughs> And joining the Prince of pasta Day,
2: it's the Prince of Print, Osman Faruqi. How are you, baby? Lex, Mitch, I'm very excited. I'm a big fan of the pod, big fan of the food series, and have a lot of very um, positive views about this movie. So I'm very interested... That, that Mitch seems a bit mixed. I feel like, you know, we could come to blows, but that's a fun listening experience. <laughs> yeah, this might be the first and most passionate episode of the podcast. I can't
1: wait to see what happens, <laughs> especially with me in the mediator chair. <laughs> um, Oz, you of course, you're the host of The Culture for Schwartz Media, a great pop culture and culture podcast. But also, you're about to put another little feather in your cap, a feather that
2: I would call a restauranteur. That's one of the weirdest pivots in my professional career is that I am, I mean, technically about to open a restaurant, but also technically have already kind of opened one because we've been doing pop-ups throughout most of this year across Melbourne uh, with a a friend of mine, a a chef in Melbourne, a guy called Nagesh Sethia, who is one of the best chefs I think this city has, has thrown up. Um, He's worked at some amazing spots by Liberty, Capitano, uh, his place Anchovy in Richmond. He's from a Mauritian background. Um, We met and I heard a bit about his story and he said to me, you know, it really frustrates me in this country that all the fancy food places, even some of the best Vietnamese, Thai, Sri Lankan joints are run by white people, uh, staffed, chefed by white people. It's like I have that background. I can do fine dining food why can't I do fine dining food? That is my culture's cuisine, Mauritian food. And I'm like, you know what? I like the sound of that. I have a little bit of savings and I'm never going to buy a house. So why don't I put all my savings into this? And then, you know, the Delta wave hit Australia and I'm pretty fucked right now, if I'm honest with you guys. But, you know, I I can watch movies about food and restauranting. you know, it's something to, to keep me motivated to pass the time in these lockdowns.
1: Yeah, well, that's why we needed to get you on this mini series because you're blending those worlds pop culture, discussion, and food just as we are
2: on this mini series. So I'm so glad you got to come down for it. I Look, I actually had a lot of take rewatching this movie this week with the new intimate knowledge I have of how restauranting works as a business and how uh, much food you can make with, like, two and a half chefs. I got a lot of thoughts on, on how uh, the realism of this film, what what they're able to pull off. I'm excited to bring it uh, to yes, this. Yes, I,
0: ca- I can't wait to get into that. I, I cannot wait to get into that. Before
1: we do, though, Oz, are there any, like food moments in films that like really resonate with you and have always stuck with you.
2: There's two and like you know me pretty well Alexi in terms of what I like about movies so perhaps none of them neither of them are going to be that surprising. <laughs> they both have to do with old Italian men teaching young Italian men how to cook classic meals, right? So you can already tell where I'm going with this. There's obviously <laughs> The Godfather uh you know uh Michael being taught how to make uh, spaghetti meatballs. Oh uh, uh, yeah, in, in the Godfather one, and an iconic scene. Big scenic, old right? Clemenza, man. That's what. That's one of my favorites. Big old Pete Clemenza. It's just, it's beautiful. And I think there's a lot of in this movie, Big Night, that reminded me of that. I don't know whether that's just because mm. there's Italian guys in you know the East Coast of America talking about food, but I think what I love about the way that the Godfather and this movie treat food is that it's not just something to be consumed. It's directly linked to culture and a story of immigration and what that mm-hmm. means in america right now and then the other one in a similar vein is uh is in goodfellas when i think paulie is teaching um uh is teaching them how to like slice the garlic with the with the razor blade in prison they're my two standout oh, food that's moments.
0: that's my all-time favorite too.
2: have you ever tried it mitch have you ever sliced the garlic with the
0: a... <laughs> i never i never have i never i was actually thinking like that maybe with the wrap-up episode, like I did the oh, lobster man. pasta, I might try and replicate the jail dinner from Goodfellas and oh, have a go get the <laughs> Gillette Mac Five out, dude, yeah. and see what happens.
1: Get some of that nice, soothing aloe vera and on that see garlic. It. See where it goes.
0: So we'll see. We'll see how motivated I am. But I, the thought did cross my mind. <laughs>
2: Do you know you asked me about um film, Alexei, but I've got another mm. favorite like moment from T V in food. Um, I don't know if you guys are fans of the US office, but that com- that I think it's one of the cold opens where Kevin has just got the big bucket of chili that he brings in to to the wow. office and he just Slips and it's like a, a four minute gag of just chili. <laughs> being spilled. It's completely absurd. Oh my God. Absolutely
1: iconic. And you know what? I've still eaten chili many a times after seeing it, seeing it all slopped up on an office floor on that TV show. <laughs> <laughs> also, Oz, it was so interesting. You mentioned like the Coppola Clemenza scenes and the Scorsese one, because that's weirdly it's the first time it's come up really in this mini series. Mm. But they're like the two that I always gravitate to as well. And Coppola said that he always felt like if his movie wasn't a hit or wasn't special or didn't like artistically do something in his early films, he said that he would always sneak a recipe in there. So that Mm. way people would still take something away from the movie, even if it was like a complete failure. Extraordinary. Extraordinary. I mean, that's why he's one of the Kings. Absolutely.
2: What's the recipe? Is there a recipe in apocalypse now? I'm trying to think, what are they cooking up in that movie other than, Tragically, they do they do slaughter a cow, and um, I believe they do consume (laughs) it. So
1: maybe not an at home recipe, but you know it's in there, buried somewhere.
2: I mean, it's very detailed the way they stab that buffalo. So I guess you could take that. You know how to like (laughs) kill a buffalo with 18 tribes people.
1: Yeah, more butchery skills rather than like an actual (laughs) recipe in that one. Well, I say let's do it, babies. Let's carve up that Timpano and start talking about Stanley Tucci's directorial debut. Big noise.
2: They were two brothers who came to America bearing Italy's greatest gift. To eat good food is to be close to God. I'm never sure what that means, but it's true anyway. <laughs> they have a talent for cooking. No, wait. Cut the table. Now, all they need... If you give people time, they learn. This is a restaurant, not a cooking school. ...is a recipe for success. If we don't receive your payment by the end of the month, we will foreclose. What do you mean? Their only hope is a plan. Louis Prima. Who's Louis Prima? He's a friend of mine. I make a call. He's in town next week. You cook for him. Louis is coming. He's not just some guy. He's famous. Their only obstacle... Men. Boys. ...is each other. My brother sometimes is too... Um, uh... I have a younger brother. Hate his
1: gut. Big Night from 1996, directed by Stanley Tucci, And Campbell Scott. And if you're not familiar with Campbell Scott, he's an actor that appears in this movie as well. But he's also the son of legendary Academy Award winning actor George C. Scott. Mm. No way. I did not know that. Yeah, from Patton, from frickin' um, uh, Doctor Strange Love and many other beloved classics of movie Mm. history. Iconic. We're going to kick things off with a little segment we call... Love that logline. I'm going to read you a logline or a synopsis that I found, and you guys have to rate it. Let me know if you love it or if you hate it. And this one actually comes from the newly released and restored Blu-ray edition of the movie. (laughs) In a restaurant run by two Italian immigrants, the tables sit empty despite the extraordinary talents of Primo the chef, Tony Shaloub from TV's Monk, and the ambitious efforts of his brother Secondo, Stanley Tucci of the Devil Wears Prada. A celebrity night at their restaurant promises not only to turn their business around, but to change their lives. It's a five-course gourmet experience filled with the rich, delicious characters, including the marriage-minded girlfriend, Academy Award nominee Mini Driver, the seductive mistress Isabella Rossellini, and the successful rival Oscar-nominated Ian Holm. From the first bite to the last, this critically acclaimed movie dishes up an
2: irresistible evening of scrumptious entertainment. I, look, my the, the thing that stands out to me in that is that of all the extraordinary actors and people involved in this, the first one they go with is Tony Shalhoub. Tony Shalhoub from, from Like no beef. I think I think monks monks a fine show. He's fine in this movie, but it does yes, kind of monks vary a the hunk. League. We admit it. Monk's a freaking hunk, dude. It's not. It's not how I would have sold it. I wouldn't be like you yeah. know that guy from Monk and the guy from Devil Wears Prada. They're doing a thing. That's not. <laughs> Mitch, what about you? How do you reckon?
0: It is pretty um, on point. Like it's pretty much exactly what the movie is, and yeah, it does. It does show the strength of the cast, even though, you know, maybe Shahrukh hasn't gone on to hit the heights that one might have thought after this. But my God, you know, Monk came after this, right? <laughs> We're not in alternate reality where it comes before.
1: This broke him, and then Monk comes out and makes him one of the biggest megastars to
2: ever be. a kind of ugly actor. <laughs> but that's the other weird thing about that logline is that it sort of pretends that this is a post-Monk poster. It's like, you've seen him yep. in Monk, yeah, you've seen you him in Devil's Prada, Monk. now yeah. watch them. Yeah, it's, it's not yeah. how it happened. It's like, before all that, this is what I, guess, I guess because it's Now watch of... him when he was five
0: years younger <laughs> and learn to love him all over again. You could You can't really tell he's five years younger. I think he's looked the same since he was born almost. But I think... maybe that's because it's kind of a cult hit isn't it it's Mm. you know Tucci was quite young it's early on in his career it wasn't a big movie I don't think it has a big budget and it's but it's become such a touchstone and such a well-known food Mm. movie it's the first almost the first movie everyone will reel off when you talk about food movies
1: yeah, absolutely. It's like really, like completely become an icon by being a very specific entry in a specific subgenre mm. of films that is not overpopulated. Like, you know, we've only done a few episodes on this and we've ticked off almost all the major food movies <laughs> yeah. by doing this miniseries. But it's kind of become an icon by just absolutely cementing its place by hitting at exact the right time as well. I think this is the movie that kind of, like, kicks off this kind of small cycle, a genre cycle, if you will, of food films. Like, you know, without this, there's no Julie and Julia. Without this, you know,
2: even something like uh, Dinner Rush might not even exist. Can I, can I even go one step further? Because I think quite literally without this... There is no Julie and Julia, and there's no Ratatouille, which I know you Absolutely. you both spoke. And the reason for that is, and this is the crazy thing about this movie, and I think and this is what the log line totally misses out. Who in this movie is in Julie and Julia? Stanley Tucci, right? He's who in this movie, which I, I kind of blew my mind until I rewatched Ratatouille and realized mm. Ian Home, Ian Home, who course. plays Pascal, the bad guy, is the ah, chef in Ratatouille. Of course. The, there's the DNA of all these food movies that, that you guys have been talking about and covering Ooh. comes from. It's, it's, it's germinated from Big Night. It's really interesting because it is such a small
1: movie, but its impact is like kind of humongous like how much this movie gets talked to uh how much this movie gets talked about and just like what its critical legacy is Mm. this literally is one of my favorite ever roger ebert reviews is for this film like it's included in his list and his books of great movies i'm just going to read you the first paragraph of it because it's one of my favorite pieces of film criticism where he's just talking about like the inspiration of what this movie captures Big night is one of the great food movies, and yet it is so much more. It is about food not as a subject, but as a language. The language by which one can speak to gods, can create, can seduce, can aspire to perfection. Oh, I actually got a chill when I was reading it. Holy <laughs> shit. I just like left my body. It's I think that that's really like what I love about this movie and what I connect mm-hmm. to about it, is that It is Stanley Tuching putting everything into it because he wrote this movie with just having in mind the one achievable goal of writing a great character for himself because as a character actor, you know, he doesn't get those great roles. He gets those small character roles that are often like a sign because he feels some sort of stereotypical look for a small character part in a film. I think what he does with this movie is like he to me, makes one of the great migrant stories that speaks in like this modern American language. It's that old world of Italy hitting the new world of America. But in this interesting perspective that I haven't seen it done before or really since, where it is so much involved with the perspective of how these people are seen by the community around them in this new world, where it doesn't make them feel inferior. It doesn't make them feel worse. It doesn't make them feel superior either. But there's something in the otherness that is like very specific to a migrant story that I think like nails something that you don't really see. It's not like an us versus them. It's just like a kind of disproportionate otherness that I find fascinating.
2: 100%. I think that's one of the most interesting things about this movie. It's why our boy Roger Ebert is our boy Roger Ebert. He he nails it. Like- it is as much a migrant story as it is a food story and it does it so subtly like you can watch the whole movie and not really if you Mm. have no connection with that that's fine it's still a great movie that you can connect with on these other levels but I mean I think the way that it pokes fun at sort of waspy middle-class America for not understanding that there is so much more to Italian food than spaghetti meatballs which I think resonates throughout the decades you know in like the 60s that's what it was if you look at it now it's like well there's more to indian food than butter chicken there's more to thai food than pad thai all these ways in which uh dominant cultures want to connect with with with, with a migrant group and these guys are kind of making fun of it but they're not doing it in a way that makes it so kind of beats you over the head and like you're like you get the point um and I think it also, is, like I'm probably going to overdo the Godfather comparisons a little bit in this in this podcast. Um, but it is also a movie about the allure and maybe the failed promise of the American dream. Like mm. that's what Tucci's character says a lot. In, in Italy, you can work hard, you get nowhere. In America, you can rise and rise and rise. But the climax of the movie is basically disavowal of that. Mm.
0: But before we go on, I just want to say Lex, isn't it funny that we've done all these movies and it took the journalist to come in and show us the very obvious thing that we missed the whole way through? Yeah. Like the through line of all the movies we've been <laughs> yeah. doing just like straight over our head and I was
2: just like picked it up straight away. <laughs> absolutely <laughs> you're very good at uncovering those clues mm, i don't know how they did it mm. i think i think like you guys i'm just weirdly obsessed with these kinds of movies and and, and stanley tucci and Ian home it just happened to be <laughs> yeah. the perfect uh, yeah. you know alignment of my interests
0: another big part of it that is similar to there's almost three parts right there's the food the migrant story and there's almost the story of the artist and the creative mm. and that can probably be Tucci putting himself and him having to sacrifice what he's doing to make a living and all that kind of stuff. And that comes up in Primo wanting to serve risotto the way he serves it. And you serve it this way and all that kind of stuff and not wanting to compromise on his art for the sake of the general public and how opposite that vision is to a commercially viable vision. Mm. And that's... that's. We'll get into it, but that's what this movie hits. Maybe that's why I struggle with this movie because it hits really close to home in a lot of ways.
1: Mitch, there's actually a chef that shares that opinion with you uh, that you greatly admire. Anthony Bourdain, when he was talking about Big Night, this is what he said. It's way up there on my list of favorite food movies. It fully portrays the pain of the chef whose food is correct but unappreciated. There's an incident in the first scene. A woman walks into the restaurant and orders the chef's seafood risotto, and it is a perfect, authentic seafood risotto, and she complains. Where's the seafood? What is this? It's just rice. And then asks for an order of spaghetti and meatballs on the side. And when I saw this film, it was in a theater full <laughs> the of chefs. on the side you could hear the sharp intake of breath as all of these chefs reacted to that scene <laughs> that pain, everybody went through it
0: <laughs> That's that's that scene was infuriating and also <laughs> a ve- very a very familiar feeling not in the terms of I think in terms of maybe lack of understanding or even lack of compassion on the part of the diner of what the restaurant is and a restaurant doesn't have to be everything to everybody. And you don't go to a restaurant. Like if you want to have a side of spaghetti and meatballs, just stay the fuck at home. Don't go to the (laughs) restaurant that does this thing this way. You know what I mean? But a big thing about that, that hit for me, that scene is I'm not a migrant, but I've worked, my career in Italian kitchens and hearing stories from the older generation of Italian chefs who really um, introduced Sydney, Sydney especially, to Italian food. Guys like Armando Pococo, Lucio Galetto, Bepi Polisi, and their restaurants. And, you know, Beppi's is still going. It's uh, the second oldest restaurant in Australia by a couple of months, I think. It's 70-something years old, I think. And... I, and Lucio's closed maybe a year or two ago and it had been around for 50 odd years, I think. So I know, and from hearing their stories, that they went through these struggles of trying Mm. to educate Anglo-Saxon customers about what fucking calamari was. Like, it's so far, in terms of Italian food, it's so far removed from where we are now. But like I said each cuisine and each different type of heritage and their culture sort of goes through the same struggles as it becomes a more popular thing or that culture puts themselves on the map and develops like the Vietnamese hotspot, not hotspot, the Vietnamese um, epicentre of Cabramatta where they create and try to protect and have their legacies and their culture endure and then we slowly the rest of the world or the rest of the city starts to learn about it and how amazing this cuisine is and to think that that's so real that story that scene is so real and i'm sure that's why it resonates with a lot of the older generation with them coming with migrating to wherever to america to australia and going through that thing of being othered because their food was weird, and I'm sure both you guys experienced it in primary school and stuff like that. With you know whatever you had in your lunchbox, that wasn't a ham sandwich.
2: Yeah, I had seafood risotto you know? every day, and people were like, "What the hell is this? <laughs> is <this> spaghetti meatballs?" <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I, I you know... actually
1: went to high school my whole life in Little Italy, so I was pretty safe. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but that that scene just really hit for me because of hearing all those stories of. You know, calamari was bait for fishing. It wasn't something mm. you ate. And mm. on and on and on and on and on. And the work that they, that generation had to put in that we now all benefit from and just the sheer ignorance they were against, they were fighting against. You know, and like you were saying, Oz, you know, even now we appreciate that Italian food isn't Italian food, it's regional cuisine. And we're just starting mm. to learn that about Chinese food, how regional Chinese cuisine is, and all these different types of things. So, that just that one scene is so important, I think
1: i think why this movie has like caught on so much is because it hits these things at exact right time like this is when that conversation starts changing it's in the late 90s where there is like a food media boom like we do mm-hmm. have celebrity chefs at this time and people in uh, western cultures are embracing the cuisines from around the world they're becoming really interested in them and i think with What's kind of interesting as far as, like, popular culture goes and food culture goes, kind of where, like, really where culture goes, especially when it comes to, like, migrant diasporic cultures, is I feel like Italians have always kind of led the way with, like, breaking through the barrier. Like, you feel, you know, the movies we're talking about at the start of this podcast are, like two of the most beloved pictures of all time, The Godfather Hmm. and Goodfellas. And those are like Italian migrant stories and they've become classics because they're the first ones to break through and have their culture embraced. I don't know what it is. like Maybe it's just like Italian migration to Western societies they're the first ones on the boats to get there and the first ones Mm. to kind of break through but the impact on popular culture by like diaspora communities of italians is i mean you can't not mention
2: it it's humongous i think yeah totally i think there's two different elements so i think on the food level i think you're totally right in the sense that that's a kind of western cuisine that's different to uh, english kind of food american kind of food so it's different and exciting but it's not. It's sort of familiar, right? We know what Italians are. We know where they come from. They're living here. They've been around for a bit. Let's eat their food. But then I think what this movie does is it brings these two different things together. It brings together Italian food culture and this question of it being accepted in the mainstream or not. And then also, like, second or first generation Italian movie culture. Like, I think... Again, I'm, I promise you, I'm not just going to talk about Scorsese or Coppola throughout <laughs> this whole podcast. But I, <laughs> do it, do it, do it, do it. <laughs> I, I, I do think that this movie is in dialogue with, I think, more Goodfellas. You know, Goodfellas mm. only came out a few years earlier. I think the scene. I don't know if I'm getting too ahead, but I think there's one scene where uh, Stanley Tucci's character walks into Pascal's restaurant for the first time, and that reminds me a lot of that long tracking shot in goodfellas it's not quite as proficient but it's him being greeted he's coming through you're seeing the camera pan around this restaurant slash nightclub it's all kind of happening and at the very least to me that suggests that they know tucci they know that these there are these movies that are that are using film and are and are very similarly bringing in ideas of culture and identity through cinema and then and so tucci takes that he takes the food stuff and he puts it together in this movie and I think it, that's why it has an impact that's why it does resonate with you know chefs with other filmmakers uh, with just general people in the states deciding what they want to eat or what they expect from a restaurant
1: it's so interesting you bring up that scene because that was something I noticed this time as well is like the actual style of the film changes in that moment like it mm. does get a little bit grander it does get a little bit more stylish it does get a little bit more kind of modern rock and rolly in those moments, like those 1960s and 70s experimentally, or those films that kind of push the barrier of what film really could do, captures like that Scorsese-type energy. Whereas like the rest of the film, when we're in the kitchen or in the restaurant of Stanley Tucci and Tony Shaloub, uh, and of course Mark Anthony as well in those scenes. Oh, we it's can't fantastic. talk about Mark Anthony. It's f- yeah, brilliant. <laughs> we, we got to talk about Mark yeah. Anthony. He
0: didn't even get a mention on the back of the Blu-ray.
1: <laughs> I know. They should they I, he probably even uncredited on the back of the box. <laughs> but the rest of those scenes are shot in such like a sparse and kind of like slightly removed wide shots. Almost like mm. the camera's a little further back, but it still retains its intimacy but enough to like capture this play built setting where you're like seeing everybody in the scene. Like it's a very kind of, it's got a very, uh, what am I trying to say? It's got a really deep focus. These scenes a really high depth of field where you can kind of see everything and everyone. So it does feel like they're on a stage and you're in the audience looking in and every scene is kind of like one long sustained shot. Maybe there's some movement to the camera to capture some things, or the camera changes angle. But for the most part, like these are long sustained shots and scenes, and something very typical of, I think, actors that become directors. And because this is directed by two actors that also have like a background in theater, I would say it kind of has that real stagey feeling where it's the performance the performances that provide the editing and the performances that provide the tension and the escalation rather than actual uh, filmmaking and film language techniques I think that's like one of the other things that just like makes people love this movie is you really get this strong feeling of who these characters are and what all their relationships are like and what the dynamic between every single character in this movie is like what are their shared experiences Mm. and how they relate to each other I think
0: maybe that's part of why i struggle i i can't decide if i love it or if, if i hate it is because at times it really does feel like you're watching a, a play on a stage there are like i'll give i'm going way ahead but the almost the very almost the very last scene where they've had their big fight on the beach and even the beach scene feels like a play as well it's very like greek tragedy and and I think and then they come back to the kitchen and Tony walks in after Tucci's already made eggs for him and Mark Anthony and Shalub just sort of stands there for a bit and looks around. And it's almost like he's forgotten his lines and he's looking around for that bit of memory to jog and then okay. <laughs> and I think maybe that's why I think I don't understand the language that the film is made in. At times, to me, it feels like I'm watching Faulty Towers. Mm. At times, it feels really, really over the top. At times, it's really small. So I think I struggle with the language of the film. And then I add to that the fact that it hits close to home, the struggles of running a small business, the struggles of that small business not doing really well, having someone say amazing things to your face and be friends to you while they're fucking you over and being your undoing in the end. And not that I've had, you know, that doesn't necessarily hit close to home, but... People
1: do like you, Mitch, if you're worried about
0: that. But all those, like, you know, I've had troubles with business partners and that that Mm. sort of has that feeling to it. And just, it makes it a tough watch. And then Tucci's character being... Because I'm a chef, I side with Primo all the time. You know what I mean? I feel Primo's emotion and frustrations very much. And then to have Tucci swanning around and thinking he knows what's best and he probably does in terms of a business sense. And Primo struggling, like we said, with that give and take and that kind of thing, it's really hard to watch. And Mm -hmm. the first time, I think the first time I actually watched it was last year in lockdown, maybe after we'd spoken about it, Lex. And I enjoyed it then, but on this rewatch, it it hit harder for some reason. And I think that's part, like, I know it's a great film and there are Mm -hmm. fantastic moments, but I struggle with it.
1: I think as well. You just brought something up to my attention. Now the thing that like I struggle with is like that theater nerd aspect in me, where I'm like, yes, it's beautiful. It's all these performances, mm. like everything I just said. But then like there's this whole waiting for Godot element to it, with like Louis Primus coming to this dinner party, and like it works wonderfully in the film, and it's like a great device. But like as a theater a guy that studied theater like in university waiting for Godot is like the hackest reference Mm. in the world. (laughs) And so it's just kind of like those meshing of those things where I think in 1990s, this would have been like why this has got the biggest legacy is because it's got at the time, this is like groundbreaking stuff. But now when you look at it, there's kind of like this quaintness about this film that sometimes doesn't work as well as I, you know, when I dream about this movie, it doesn't have those elements to it. But when you watch mm. it, there's like this real quaintness to it that
2: can be charming, but at times
1: maybe doesn't quite, you know, push the envelope
2: anymore. I think there's... I, I largely agree with you guys, but I think what's interesting about this movie is that there are a couple of moments that do feel a little bit boundary-pushing for the time. And there's one that really stood out to me in particular. The, the scene, or just really, there's a few shots of when they're getting in to make the dinner for the big night, mm. and there's the scene where they make their own pasta and it's shot the camera is looking from the top down and it reminds me of like it looks like a bon appétit youtube video or mm, yeah. one of those viral videos you see on instagram or tiktok and i don't i hadn't seen anything like that prior yeah, to that right. in cinema. Yeah, yeah. And it yeah. actually is quite different to the way a lot of other things are shot and you brought that up before alexi how so much of this movie it's not only the way the camera is is set up but Maybe eighty percent of the movie is set in either the kitchen or the restaurant. Mm. It feels very stagey, totally. Mm. And then there are a couple of these flourishes, and I can sort of see, you know, this premiered at Sundance. I can sort of see how that community really got around it because they're like, Tucci's this, he's this actor. He's done film stuff. He's done some some uh, uh, some theater stuff, but here he is exercising that fun little creative director brain, and it's this this kind of wholesome story. But I, hearing you talk about it, Mitch, also made me think that. You know, I get caught up in the excitement of this movie, and the couple of times mm. I'm watching it. All the themes I really like, and it is kind of fun. Uh, Tucci's character reminds me a little about a little bit of those guys in, in Dirty Rotten Scoundrels, um, mm. Steve, Steve Martin, Michael Keaton. It, it's there's, there is this like charming fuckboyness to it too. <laughs> yes. It's almost like. Yeah everyone is kind of in a slightly different movie and so it is Mm. enjoyable. But then when you take a step back and and I hear you talk about it and even Alexi talking about the kind of quaintness, it's actually not as coherent as it feels sometimes Mm. when you're watching it. You're like, Mm. these are all interesting storylines that all kind of intersect, but then you're like, no, there's a whole thing happening here and there's Mm. a different thing happening there and it's kind of shot in these strange ways and they don't really all hold together. But Mm for a directorial debut. I mean, if I made a movie like this for hey, the first time, yeah, I'd be pretty happy with myself, 100%. 100%, you know? 100%. Absolutely. yeah. And
1: you just kind of remind me of something that I noticed this time as well, is that in the credits, Robert Altman is thanked, who's like one of the all-time great directors. Mm. We've mentioned him before in this miniseries in the Dinner Rush episode as kind of like a director of those multi-layered stories. And I think this does have a little bit of that energy about it where there are... And this also and also robert altman is a filmmaker that directed films that were literally adaptations of plays that still mm. had that stagey quality so i think there is like this altman energy about it where there are multiple storylines going co- like concurrently with each other but in the soundscape of this movie as well there's an altman energy where we hear things happening at different places the sound feels captured from the space it's in rather than like soundscaped too much after most of the music apart from you know some of the jazz score it does feel quite diegetic it is happening in the place that it's that we're watching it it's kind of Hey, man, I'm I'm swinging back around. I'm always swinging with this movie. It's I think it's why like you know when I'm saying swinging, I'm swinging between a four and a half and a five star and a four star. It's not that much swinging, but um yeah, it's it's interesting. Let's talk about the performances though, because this is a movie made by actors, and largely this cast is like pretty like top tier. But interestingly, there's not a movie star in this movie. These are all like interesting supporting characters and supporting character actors playing these roles. You've got everyone from Alison Janney to freaking Ian Holm to. Leif Schreiber. Oh, yeah, Leif Schreiber's in this. But there's so many like cast members we've got to talk about. But let's start talking about those two brothers, the Tooch and the Lube. We love the <laughs> Tooch and the Lube on this show.
2: Let's get shalubricated and talk about these two fellas. <laughs> one of the, one of the things that stands out to me is like Tucci has an Italian background. Shahub's background is not Italian. His, his um, family comes from mm. the, the Middle East in, in sort of pre around Ottoman times. I think they're from what is now Lebanon. But honestly, mm. I think his Italian accent and his Italian was better than Tucci's. Uh, I, I thought Tucci he was, was, great. was not having a great Italian accent I think his performance is, is fun and, and he plays the character really well but I was genuinely surprised at how fluent and conversant and how much he did embody uh, I think shaloub to me Shaloub and Mark Anthony are the two standouts for me for different reasons but they're mm-hmm. both like Shaloub is this guy the Mitch you put it so well he's this guy who's trying to be creative he's conflicted about it he doesn't really love america but he's he is trying to give it a go he has this intensity his interactions mm-hmm. with everyone are very funny and very weird I, as well i think
1: that shalhoub performance it's magnificent in this movie because it captures everything that he's so talented at which is weird kind of like idiosyncratic comedy where he's very like self-centered i think he's really good at playing those self-centered characters but that are not high status and the kind of thing that really moved me about this film this time he has like a speech about like you know talking to god through food and it kind of hit me now viewing this really as like a migrant story and this is a guy that has almost no life outside the four walls of this kitchen. Like, he doesn't even have a life inside the restaurant. It's just inside the kitchen. That it's almost like, I see this character now as someone who is in a new country, learning a new language. So he can't even really communicate to anybody. So the only people he can communicate is through, like, his language of cuisine, his language of, like, the culinary arts, and him... Seeing himself as an artist, seeing himself producing his food as art, is like the only way he knows how to communicate, and the only person that might be listening is gods. Mm. And that's kind of where I found this character now, and like what what I find it like a tragic comic character as yeah. well,
0: because that's that's also the only place he's comfortable. He's anytime he's outside of that environment, he's very awkward. He doesn't know what to say. He struggles to speak and communicate. But inside that kitchen, he has beautiful language. You know, he can describe everything. He can talk to God. But outside of that, he's very unsure of himself and very awkward. And that he portrays that really well. And it's all, he's also very funny.
1: And we've been kind of dancing around it, but we've got to talk about this weird little supporting performance by JLo's los ex, Mark Anthony. <laughs> I... I am obsessed with this character and I forget he's in it every time until I watch it again. And he absolutely does so everything he does is so small and so little, but he steals the, every scene for me.
2: Yeah. What, what is in a different movie? Like, I don't know what he's doing. I don't know if he has any lines <laughs> or what he's up to, but he's just, it's such a strange role. Like what is the the direction and the writing for that role? You're always kind of there in the background, I don't know whether I'm missing something, whether there is some like bigger point they're trying to make about these kinds of kitchen ads, but I mean, he clearly is an extremely good cook. This is my take. He's extremely good mm-hmm. at what he does because you look at the food that comes out of that kitchen when they put their heart and mind to it, and it's wild. Like, there's can I can I get into this or am I stepping on yeah. something? Like, Let's do it. So when they're at the climax of of the the film and they're doing the dinner, and you've got. The first course, which is technically not even the first course because, then the title card comes up and it's Il Primo. But before that, the entree is a platter of risotto made in uh, three different colors. So there's a seafood risotto, a tomato risotto, a pesto risotto. There's the timpano. There's, like, roasted quails. There's a suckling pig. We know that Tucci's character is, you know, hanging around and partying. And in fact, we kind of know that Shaloub's character is doing the same thing because he's in love with this girl. He's flirting with her. Mark Anthony's the one doing all this food work. He's, he's well, the MVP. Not not
0: even just on the night. The whole day, Tucci's out fucking Isabella and mucking around. <laughs> Shaloub's out buying flowers and then having a nap at the fucking barber shop. Like, where the fuck is all this food coming from? <laughs> when did they like the whole time they've got the timpano in the oven when the fuck did the suckling pig get cooked <laughs> they're cooking it's, it in a pit out
1: the back or ridici- something it's dude.
0: ridiculous but my, Mark Anthony's character he's he steals so many moments for me as well just the little like he's trying to walk through the crowd when they're all dancing and they're just sort of bumping him and it's like he doesn't exist to them and he's just trying to walk his way through and Or then earlier on when Tucci gets back from buying the booze and he tells him to go and get the booze. And then I can't even remember Mark Anthony's character, but he's like, oh, yeah, no worries. Just say thanks. Yep, no, I'll do it. Thanks, mate. Yep, yep, yep. And off he goes. You know, there's all these like little, very real things that a busboy would would react and how he would Mm -hmm. be treated. And he, he just does it with such charm and humor that it's like it just jumps out of the screen every time he he's on screen. Yeah, I
1: agree as well. Like I think that it, it's such a weird performance. It's like he doesn't make eye contact with anyone in the movie, <laughs> and there's something very authentic about that in like he is the lower status character. He doesn't really have any deeper connections to anyone, but also I kind of read it as that he's probably the the newest migrant of everyone and maybe he doesn't have as easy time communicating with everyone else uh, as the other characters do. But also, you know, he's probably... Mark Anthony's a character that probably... The actor that can do the worst
2: Italian accent and probably decided <laughs> not to do it that much. <laughs> or, <laughs> it's or, one of the things... Or he, or he did it and they just cut out all of his actual lines because they're like, this guy... Because <laughs> let's be real, like, Mark Anthony's career... This is probably his best performance and he's, like, not talking a lot in it, so... Mm. Yeah. Oh man, mm. I gotta give a shout out
1: Mark Anthony, give him some praise for Man on Fire, where he plays a slimy dad He's perfectly cast as a slime. <laughs> yeah. ball. Like he's a slug incarnate If you ask me <laughs> One thing I want to ask you Mitch This is like maybe mm. the first time I can remember encountering Like a concept that's like Very well known now But the idea of like a chef's table Like just one big banquet At a restaurant where it's like Serving Like, what the chef dreams of serving. Do you think this is what helped that catch on as a concept?
0: I think it could have. I think even, like, the banquet table of just the spread of antipasto stuff there, like, I think even that's inspiration for these craze of grazing boards these days. You know, like, everything's there, everyone's walking around. It's very much a piece of Italy, like, going for aperitivo, in Bologna or something like that where everything's out on the table and you're starting you're having spritzes and Prosecco's and all that kind of stuff and then it rolls into the meal and you've already eaten more than you can eat and at the end of the at the end of the dinner everyone is so absolutely crushed with food and they're just at every stage of the meal they think oh that's the end of the meal and then more food comes and then more food comes and then more food comes and And I really like that communal table, but it's yeah. also like it's a part. It's not a normal dinner service. It's a party. We're here for a reason. We're here because I want to say Louis Bega, but <laughs> Louis <laughs> <laughs> Louis Prima is coming or supposed to be coming. So there's this circumstance that everyone is there for, and it's set up that everyone is there for a reason and they're connected to each other in a way. So they're all sitting down to dinner together. But it's probably the first time a a degustation is almost shown Mm. or like a communal sharing style thing is shown on... Like, I don't think that's very common. And it's... Everything is brought out on big sharing platters and served to you or put in the middle of the table and everyone's passing stuff around. And it's also that Mm. very Italian family table way of eating that's very communal and design, you know, designed for everyone to be talking and laughing and engaging with each other and the food at the same time.
1: The only other film that I can think that kind of does something like this before it is one that I'm sad we didn't really get to talk about, but I'm sure we'll talk about it next week or the week after when we do our wrap-up episode, is uh, the European film Babette's Feast, which Mm. contains many of the same themes of like cooking for God and cooking for art, but also uh, the film culminates in this giant feast around a table but that's still like individual meals being served not like this kind of like shared buffet style Mm. and yeah it's kind of weird watching this again just going like man this is this is a bit of a freaking like like a rosetta stone for where we are now in food culture and like the way that we think about presenting food and either in restaurants or in media as well it's kind of
2: fascinating just that idea of everyone coming together that Mitch was talking about, I think like you, alexi I'm, I'm spinning back from a four and a half to a five because I think what makes that scene and the whole idea so effective is one, the way that the cooking and the eating is happening. I think Mitch described that so eloquently, but in the background to this movie, which is about these two struggling uh, restaurant owners trying to put on this big dinner for Louis Prima is the cast of characters that we get introduced to, not only are they, I think, quite good performances, but we get a real sense of that community. And by the time everyone is there, we kind of know a lot about them. And Mm. it's not as though I care deeply about whether the uh, Cadillac salesman enjoys the food or not, but (laughs) it's not just a random group of extras. It's like, wow, over Mm. the course of this movie, over the last hour or so, they've built up this. So now you've got all these people that have an emotional connection to to Tucci and to Shalhoub and the way that they're feeding them, the joy that that is bringing to them. I think that's the moment where when when Tucci walks into the kitchen and is like, all right, let's eat. It's like, who cares about Louis Primer anymore? This is not what this movie is about. This movie is about us being believers in our kind of food, bringing the people that we love around into this space and just getting drunk and dancing and singing songs and eating delicious Italian food. Um, I think that's a, a really lovely sorry to get sappy but just a really lovely message. Um it's kind of hitting with me I think because in um wow. in this lockdown I live in a share house and we have recently just started I know everyone went through different phases of this but uh it's a relatively new uh share house environment for me as and we've just had some people come and go. Uh and they we we love to just cook meals for each other and mm. I think that's one thing that we can do in this in this pandemic. Sorry to talk about the pandemic, but uh, seeing the joy in, in a cinematic way that cooking for people that you love or care about can bring uh, is very rewarding. Wow! Well, it looks like Julia Child's chopping those onions <laughs> on the podcast there because we're all getting quite steamy eyed around
1: right now with that beautiful, beautifully put on. Us. Mm.
0: It's it's also interesting, Lex, that you bring up how it remind like it was prescient for you. That, that reflects today. And another thing that sort of reflects, I see reflected in specifically Sydney's restaurant scene for, mm. for me, from my point of view is the disparity and the comparison of the two restaurants of Ian Holmes mm. restaurant nightclub and Secondo and Primo's restaurant where Secondo and Primo's restaurant is about the food and about the service It's also, like, it's a... I would love to own that building and that restaurant. It's fucking incredible. My God,
1: the tiles and, like, the beautiful.
0: But across the road is this glitz and glamour restaurant that's really, you know, at one stage, Primo goes into a massive rant about how um, Pascal should be, basically, have his balls chopped off for the food that he serves at this restaurant. But yet that restaurant is busy, it's always busy, it's always happening, it's the spot people want to go. And that comparison, and I I feel like Sydney, the Sydney restaurant scene is back into this sort of spot now where people don't care so much about the food. They don't want to be shown something new or something creative. They want to go to a place that has ambience and vibe and buzz and a a fit out and it doesn't even so much matter what the drinks or the food are or even the services it's more about the feeling of being there and the energy of being there and the vibe and the buzz and all that kind of stuff rather than we're going to this restaurant for this food Mm. and i think that that's why it's hard to me as well because as a chef, I want people to go to a restaurant for the food and the energy and the buzz in the restaurant comes from the food and the drink and Mm. the service, not because it's, you know, whatever, whatever that thing is that Pascal's restaurant has, that's fake and soulless in a way, Mm. artificial, artificial, you know, there's no soul to it. There's no heart. It's there. It's a money-making enterprise and that's it and he's there it might be showy and he might flambe something at the table but it's all pomp it's all pompous Mm. show there's no heart to it and i think that's another thing that hits close to home for me as well is and that just shows again how do you create and i'm sure oz is going through it now too how do you Mm. stay true to package that you want to deliver of food and drink and service and provide all this other shit that you kind of need these days and how do you not compromise or how do you live with the compromises that you have to make to make them intertwine and work together
1: yeah man so interesting because you know this film at times feel like the stakes are very low but all three of us has talked about like how this emotionally resonates with us like quite deeply in three really different ways. So I think that uh, it's helped me actually kind of understand and like come to grips with like why the legacy of this very small specific movie has lived on so prominently in both food and film discussion culture over like the last two decades. So it's... I mean, I'm so glad we got to come together and break bread over this this little movie. (laughs) I think we should get into our final categories and give away some awards. We give away a couple of Oscars on this podcast. We start off by giving an award to those that very seldom receive them. We... Sing our songs to the character actors on this podcast and sing our praises to them. I'm going to give away our first Oscar for the evening for best character actor to a little actor known as Pasquale Caggiano. And this guy plays Alberto the Barber in this movie. Have you guys ever seen this fella
2: before on the screen? I feel like I've seen him a bunch of times, but I I couldn't tell you where I've seen him. He's like, oh, it's that guy. That's the guy that I see around. He's
0: definitely that guy. He's like, I've seen him in a thousand things and I don't know what any of them are.
2: What's he in? What's he in?
1: I might actually tell you this. This guy's only in like five or six movies. But between the three of us, I reckon we would have seen every single film that we <laughs> Let me tell you a little bit about this guy. Pasquale Caggiano was an Italian-American New York City Italian AM pers- radio personality in the 1960s. Ooh. He started a film career late in life after a cameo in Martin Scorsese's The Age of Innocence. And then his friend Man Scorsese cast him once again in the 1995 hit film Casino there as the uh, head of the Chicago mob. And he's kind of like the main antagonist uh, of that movie. And um, since then, he's had small roles in Sleepers, uh, The Imposters, and also alongside Bobby De Niro once again in Analyze This.
0: It's a good hit, right? Maybe that's... I just watched Analyze This... In the last couple of months. Maybe that's that's why he popped up. that's why he's so familiar to me.
1: Yeah, absolutely. He's just mm-hmm. got such a great face and such like a great attitude. And you know what? I'm sending one up to heaven for him. Sadly, he did pass away October twenty fourth in the year two thousand. So our Mr. Pasquale Cajano, total reboot, is now dedicated in your honor from henceforth. Every episode is dedicated <laughs> to you <laughs>
2: from this point onwards. <laughs> Maybe you could rename the um, the Oscar for Best Character Acting for wow. Pasquale, Ooh. you know. Wow. Is that... Not to tell you how to do your podcast, you can do whatever you want. You know what, <laughs> we will
1: consider it. We might, we will consider it, but I can't promise anything. <laughs> Cam might be pissed no. off What's that we end? renamed something on an episode <laughs> that he's not Who's on. The,
2: who the fuck is you... Pasquale? You know, who is this guy? What are
0: you <laughs> talking about? you got to take it to the powers that be first, yeah, for sure. <laughs> so. We've been
1: talking about food movies for the last few weeks, so the special oscar for this movie has to go to maybe the most iconic dish ever served up in a flick we got to give an oscar to that timpano
0: mitch what the fuck is a timpano <laughs> honestly uh, a big overcooked um, dry looking i <laughs> uh, it's a very classical dish one that I'm used to seeing um, sort of if it's done in a if it's taken out of the peasant cuisine cucina povera and elevated. It's usually molded pasta with a sauce that's set into a mold and sort of baked together. So it can be a very beautiful thing. The timpano Mm. in this in Big Night, I think looks absolutely horrible <laughs> and I would not like to eat it. The eggs are extremely overcooked before they even go into the timpano and into the oven. You don't like grey <laughs> yolks? <laughs> are you kidding me? You don't like crumbly grey yolks? <laughs> <laughs> and I. And Some of the food in this movie looks... The suckling pig looked incredible. Mm. The roast chickens or spatchcocks, whatever they were, looked incredible. Some of the vegetables look incredible. The risottos and the timpano <laughs> did not look great to me and i don't think i would enjoy it
1: it's weird as well because those are the two dishes that have lived on but yeah. you know watching this movie again in hd they kind of <laughs> do look quite dry i think
0: i think that's a big thing i think the the invent of hd has not been kind to them but one of my favorite parts of the movie is when they tap the timpano and they listen to it and i think timpano may have something to do with drums. I think there's Mm. a... Again, I did no research or anything, but and watching them do that and hearing and using their other senses to Mm. go, oh yeah, fuck, we've really nailed this one. That was really beautiful to me.
1: Well, Mitch, that's why I don't want you doing any research because your instincts are always correct and you're always <laughs> sniffling out that correct little truffle out there.
0: And the timpano does share
1: its name with the timpani, the giant drum.
0: Thank you, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Can I just give um the, be- my, the best line of the movie? The best piece of advice? Of and it yeah, sort yeah. of ties in all the things that I've been talking about and the the disparity and the struggle through the movie. Um, I can't remember who says it now, but the quote is first you give them what they want, then you can give them what you want. And I think that's very true in a lot of art even, and also definitely in restaurants. And I know even speaking to different friends of mine, when they go through their process of opening their own restaurants, they start very conservatively and they start very, with a menu that's very approachable. And then as they build a customer base and they build a reputation and people begin to trust them, they start to push the boundaries. And I don't know if that's always the way to go about it, but it's something else that did ring true. And it does seem like a good piece of advice to me. Yeah, And it just sort of shows to be aware of that interplay.
2: It does make me think of Ian Holmes' character Pascal, who who gives that bit of advice, and I think it's so interesting because he's supposed to be the villain of this movie, if there is one. But mm. when you think about it, and just and actually, it only occurred to me hearing you talk about that advice because I'm like, that is really interesting advice. Tucci's character is fucking his wife, right? And yeah. Holmes basically and it like... is awesome, dude. Yeah. <laughs> Well, uh, uh, Pascal's basically just saying to him, you guys are not doing well. Come and work for me. I'll give you a yeah, job. Yeah, I'll give you a job. And, yeah. and also, here's some advice for you, you know? Like, he's yeah, not the worst villain. Yeah.
0: He's not the worst villain. He's very selfish because he, he knows how talented they are and how good they are, and he wants mm. to take advantage of that and exploit that for his own good. And he can't risk them catching on somehow because he knows if it catches it will put his business in jeopardy because it is so much better what they're doing is has all the things that his business doesn't have and if people wake up to it he'll be fucked but at the same time he's not just you know trying to get rid of them he's it's very you know i'm here to help you but i'm still fucking you underneath the table kind of thing you know
1: Mm, And it is awesome. (laughs) (laughs) A lot of all the fucking in this movie is freaking awesome. (laughs) the real stuff and also the the metaphorical fucking is freaking awesome in this movie the Tooth does it again baby sexiest character actor that ever lived alright let's wrap things up by getting into the total reboot segment where we have got the freaking rights to Big Night which by the way I found out is also they novelized this movie the co-writer on this film turned it into a novel and the novel does have recipes in it I'm trying to find a copy of it um, because I gotta have Maybe it sounds crazy
0: You get it to to the collection <laughs> That's
1: fantastic We've got to put it In the Total Reboot archives oh. But we have got The rights to this movie
0: How do you think We should reboot this? What should we do To bring it to a new age? Well I've got two ideas And they, they both stem off The character Mark Anthony and Pascale <laughs> Wow <laughs> I love this Let's give them Their own vehicles And their own starring roles And Wow Let's have the Mark Anthony movie. Let's have his story. His immigrants his migrant story, where he came from, how he got the job, what he actually does, how how he sees the restaurant through his eyes and his viewpoint of the brothers and their relationship. Yeah. And then also let's have the barbershop movie. I love a barbershop movie. Wow. It's always uh. great. Let's have the different characters of the community coming through the barbershop you probably see pascal's plans being hatched in the barbershop and him having those discussions and talking it through with the barb you you know you go to the barber, you always feel safe and it's almost like going to therapy a lot yep. of the time you know so and let's yeah. give pascali that starring role and let him shine
1: man shout out to angie been cutting my hair for like 20 years now i've
0: I've had the same hairdresser for 20 years so shout
1: out to her on this podcast I think that's great and also Mitch you just gave me an idea for another Total Reboot miniseries that you should come on which is just Barbershop movies. I'm there
0: bro I'm there.
2: Oz what do you reckon? Well actually I've got two too. One was in a similar vein to Mitch which is looking at some of the uh, other characters mm. I want to know Alice and Jenny, she's a widow they talk about that. What happened? What happened to her husband? Yeah. She's Is she mm. really a florist? I don't know. There's a lot going on yeah, her, is so,
0: that is that some of the town kind of action, the the drug front, the florists? Exactly. We're talking about the Jersey Shore, interesting. you know. Yeah.
2: Mm. Um Very uh, interesting. But the one that I and I would do this probably as like a, a, a series, right? Maybe a limited run series. Mm-hmm. And I'd take the same premise. But we we're saying at the start of this chat how, you know, making this about Italian cuisine and setting it in the sixties makes sense. But give me two, I don't know, Pakistani migrants uh coming in. To uh, to a Western city, trying to do exactly the same thing, right? Grappling with the same stuff. I feel like you could get a more fleshed-out kind of story. You could make it funny. You could make it poignant. Uh, you could You could bring in some more of the complexity around. I think the movie, in a way, because it introduces so many characters in such a short space of time, has a bit of a pilot feel to it mm. and it doesn 't really end with a definitive resolution, so I can kinda see, yeah, give me ten more episodes of this yeah, I think i 'm right there with mm. you that 's what I want to do. I
1: mean this is such like a good structure for something and such a good you know, just premise to start with is like migrants cooking their cuisine, trying to find their place in society. There should be like a hundred remakes of this and everyone should rip this off. This should be like, use this to tell like the migrant food story of every diaspora community. Like there should be five of these a year, in my opinion. Should
2: we do it? Should we franchise this? Should we do a Greek one, a Pakistani oh, one and just like spin it up? Absolutely. We got to do
1: it. We got big nights. There we go. <laughs> SBS... <laughs> Give us the money.
2: Make that pitch. That's gold, baby. This is a pitch on the pod. Whoever's listening to this and has got money, hit us up.
0: Screen Australia, where you at? Please screen us. Screen (laughs) us,
1: please. We're begging for some money right now, okay? We'll make it animated. We'll make it animated so we can do it in lockdown. Okay, we're going to do it. Uh, Oz, thanks so much for joining
2: us on the podcast today, man. Long time coming. Glad to finally get you on. It was so much fun. I was so stoked to get the invite and chopping this up with you guys was an absolute delight it made me appreciate not just the this film but film food food films such a deeper way my god julia child is once again chopping
1: onions (laughs) (laughs) Uh, but you've also got a weekly pop culture show the
2: culture tell us about it baby oh this is something i started a couple of months ago something that i've wanted to do for a long time despite being a very boring news journalist my first love has always been uh arts and culture criticism so Really excited to do this weekly show where I speak to much smarter and more interesting people than I about pop culture, about music, about albums, about TV, about film, about all sorts of stuff. Uh, and yeah, it drops every Friday morning. You can find it in your favorite podcast feed. The Culture. I've got to get you on Alexi to talk about talk about. I think I think we talked about doing a Godfather thing or something like that wow. at some point. Um, yeah, let's let's tee that up. My God, the dream call up, the dream call up. Yeah. <laughs> so well,
1: I'll put the link to that in the show notes as well. So click on through. And Mitch, baby, what have you been cooking up?
0: Not not much, bro. Not much at all. I'm <laughs> I'm cruising. I'm chilling. I'm enjoying being. I'm enjoying lockdown and just. This has been really great to do, Lex. It's given me something. It's got me back in touch with watching some films that I've you know haven't watched in a while and wanted to rewatch, and it's good to delve back into them it's always good to hang out with you
1: and also you know watch the cook up with adam leor as well isn't that a show that you're currently oh yeah yeah i keep forgetting
0: (laughs) (laughs) i got i've got one more episode there's one one more episode to come i think it comes out next week and the rest you can watch on sbs on demand there's lots of great people on that show lots of great people
1: yeah And you're one of them, dude. You know. Don't get too loud about these lockdown blues, (laughs) mate. (laughs) Next week on the podcast, we're going to be discussing the Bradley Cooper food movie star vehicle burnt, B-U-R-N-T, baby burnt. And just in case, if you missed it, I was lucky enough to be one of the first comedy guest panelist on a new abc tv show it's called question everything it's hosted by will anderson and jan fran it's a super funny take on uh fake news and very stupid riffy silly comedy uh it was so freaking cool honestly to be one of the first guests on this show got so many nice messages from the reboot rats and jungle babies that were there Uh, watching it live on TV, Um, check it out. It's on ABC iview if you haven't seen it yet. It's real fun. It's me, Conchetta Caristo, who's been on this show, and Luke Heggie, one of my all-time favorite comedians, uh, as the lineup on the panel. And um, yeah, it's been sick, so check it out. If you want to hear more from Cam and I, you can head on over to patreon.com slash totalreboot. Sign up for just five bucks a month to get access to bonus content from us, including bonus episodes. I just did one with a very special guest, Blake Howard, where we kind of gave you a nice casual guide to cinephilia. How to get really stuck into movies and thinking about them. And also some cool gift ideas if you've got like a young cinephile in your life. Um, And... Also, we're going to be kicking back with some more locked down, synced up screenings in the Patreon group on the Facebook page where we put on a movie from pretty much the year 1999 and jump in a chat room 1999 style sync up and watch a movie together with all the horny babies and reboot rats it is so much fun uh so we're gonna be doing another one of those very soon so it's a good time to get into the patreon and we're gonna do them regularly is the plan we're gonna do a couple here and there make it a regular thing while Sydney at least is in uh the foreseeable lockdown And also, another fun little thing, I'll put it in the show notes as well, so you can click right on through to it. Uh, I did a guest column for The Guardian Australia. They've got this cool guest column where they get comedians and other funny people to uh, list some of the funniest things they've ever seen online. And, um, you know, check it out. There's some very funny things in my list that I think you guys will like if you like this show. But until the next one, when we're going to be checking out Burnt... I would love to wish you the warmest of regards and the warmest of blessings, please, from now until the end of time, continue your love and your journey into the mysterious world of cinema, my darling.